do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Um, one of the things, um, I'm going to start with an illustration. Words mean things, and words in their context mean things. And today we're going to talk about a particular word in the context of 1 John chapter 2. And so one of the things that we're doing behind the scenes at Coastal in our leadership training uh, is we're trying as we're multi-siting to make sure that we all speak the same language. So if you've been through our leadership training or you're going through our leadership training or you're thinking about going through our leadership training, we hand you, you know, this big old systematic theology and we read it together and we train you in that. And you may be like, I went to seminary. Why I got to read this whole book? And the reason is we want to make sure that we're using the same language at all of our campuses, at least among our leadership. So the word that we're using, it always means the same thing because you can have a word and it means something different. And here's what I mean by this. this is the illustration we use uh, when we're training the staff. Okay, so I'm going to give you a word, one word. I want you to get your note sheet out with your pen, and I want you to write one word that defines the word I'm giving you, okay? So here's the word. You ready? This should only take a second. The word is green. What does green mean? Write it down. What does green mean? Everybody write it down. Write down your word. I'll go through some lists. I'm, I won't hit them all for sure, but I'll hit some. Okay, everybody look at me. You should have written down your definition. All right. How many of you wrote down green means envy or jealousy? How many wrote that down? Okay, a couple of you. Great. Raise your hand so I can see. Okay. How many of you wrote down green means money, 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 money? Raise your hand. All right, a couple of you. How many of you are like, man, I'm really thankful he's not on the praise and worship team? Okay, like, thank you for that too, Lord. All right. Dana, that's not funny. So uh, you found that extremely funny. Okay, how many of you, when I said the word green, wrote down something around conservation, like climate change, solar panels, Tesla? Your mind went to kind of green. How many? Raise your hand on that. So more of you care about money than climate change. Okay, that's what I thought, all right? That's what I thought. Think about that when it comes to politics. How many of you, when I said the word green, wrote down the idea of being young or inexperienced? Raise, raise your hand. So, so here's all these things. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. How many of you, when I said green, thought about the Seattle Seahawks Thursday night action green uniforms, right? I'm... Surely I'm not the only one, right? Anyway, so like green means all kinds of things, right? And so today uh, we're going to use the word, uh, we're going to look at the word world, world in 1 John chapter 2. And it can mean, and it's got to be read and interpreted in the right context, okay? And we're going to unpack that for you this morning. So here we go, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. The Apostle John writes to us and to the churches do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, and this is really, really powerful, okay? I really want you to think about this. Engage your mind and your heart for a minute. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, 
the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let me give you four things that I think will challenge you this morning. First of all, point number one, I'm preaching to the church this morning, I'm preaching to Christians. Christians should not love the world and its offerings. Christians should not love the world and its offerings. Verse 15, John writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What John is getting at here is that Christians are to have a heart that is captured by Jesus Christ. When we love Jesus, we have the love of the Father in him. Here's what John is hitting at. Every human being that walks the planet is a worship factory. It's not a matter of if your heart and in your, however you want to define the seat of your being, your heart, your mind, whatever, wherever you land on that, at the center of who you are, you will worship something. It's not a matter of if you worship, it is a matter of who or what you end up worshiping. Whatever is at the seat, at the head of the table of your life, everything else gets prioritized and submits to whatever is at the seat at the head of the table. Everybody with me? And so there's lots of things in your life. There's marriage or singleness, there's work, there's money, there's parenting, there's grandparenting, there's There's houses, there's repairs, there's doctor visits. All of that stuff that we do throughout the week gets prioritized under whatever takes the seat of the table. One of the things that I've been trying to teach you, and again, I'm not not trying to like put a finger in the cultural wound, but I'm trying to educate us as Christians. What is at the heart of the transgender movement is that God is not at the seat of the table, but self is at the seat of the table. So much so that self gets to violate biology. Biology takes a second tier issue and a per- self gets to ter- determine what a person's gender is. Everybody with me on that? And so biology then takes a lower seat at the head of the table because self is there. Everybody with me? And so we all have a worldview. We all put something at the head, at the seat of the table. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, where in the context, he's talking particularly about money but the issue is bigger than money. The issue is what takes the head seat at the table of your life. And something is there. And Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. Check this out. No one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and de- despise the other. You can't serve God in money. In other words... Something's at the seat. So if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, you say, you know what? I've repented of my sin. I've received the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is at the head seat of the table in my life, okay? How many of you say, that's, that's me, okay? How many of you raise your hand? No, I'm hoping for more than that, okay? So yeah, probably the hesitancy in raising your hand is even though I am a Christian 
and Jesus is at the seed, in my sanctification process, as I'm growing to be more like Jesus, there's also a battle for who takes the head seed. Anybody here, even as a Christian, experience that? I do, for sure, right? And so, yes, Jesus is at the seat, but there's this, there's this kind of this, maybe what we might call it worship creep, right? <laughs> who gets the head seat? It creeps in, it creeps out. I'm, I'm constantly trying to keep Christ at the head seat in the heart posture at the table of Sean Brown's life. And you probably are doing the same thing. And by the way, how do we help that? How do we as Christians help that? And so one of the things we've done at Coastal is designed a discipleship process. And this is not willy-nilly. This is out of the Bible, I believe, to help us gauge whether or not Christ is still seated as the main object of our, of our worship. And so at Coastal, here's our vision. Here's what we want for you. We want you to develop as a what? Anybody know? Authentic follower of Jesus Christ. And we say there's four things that we want you to commit to to develop as an authentic follower of Jesus so that Jesus stays at the head seat of the table, okay? Because the world is throwing things at us, as we'll unpack in a minute. But man, I, if you're like me, I want Jesus at the head of the table because things go better when I do things God's way, yes? And otherwise, I end up in a pit, I end up in a train wreck. And so we four things. What are those four things? We want you to do what? Connect, grow, serve. We've added something in the last year. What's the new one? We want you to multiply, okay? Connect, grow, serve, and multiply. And here's what that means. Number one, connect. Connect is what? Corporate worship. You need to attend corporate worship every single week. Unless you're on vacation, right? But you need to be in corporate worship every single week. And we do three really important things in corporate worship. Number one, we sing. We sing. Because the Bible says we're, we're gathered together and we're singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms. Uh, Pastor, Pastor Spencer quoted Ephesians this morning as he was praying. We sing. And there's something that, by the way, God designed music. Did you know that? Music was God's idea. Do you ever watch any of these, these music programs, American Idol, or I don't know, all the ones that are out there, right? And how many of these singers end up saying, I got my start where? In church. Why did they get their start in church? Because God designed it. Music is his idea. By the way, you know most secular music? What's, what's the idol? What's the object that most secular music's about? It's about sex. Sex or self. That's exactly right. You know what? That's a cheap knockoff to what God designed. And there's something about when we gather corporately, we begin to sing the gospel. Does anybody experience this? I experienced this today. I came in, tough week, a lot of burdens, and I began to sing, and all of a sudden my burdens felt lighter. Anybody do that? Where does that come from? That's God's design corporate worship. It makes sure that he's on the seat of the throne of my heart. We sing. We hear the word of God, and the word of God washes over us, and it changes our mindset. It reminds me of what's true, because the world is throwing tons of lies. The third thing we do at corporate worship, you may not realize this, the third thing we do is what? Anybody know what else we do in corporate worship? We give. Why do we put the offering in the middle of our corporate worship? Because we are, what do I say every week as we take up the offering? The offering is an act of what? Worship, right? And listen, this is really important because um, all the years that I've been pastoring, I've been pastoring for over 22 years now, all the years I've been pastoring, I have never, ever, 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 had anybody come into my office to confess the sin of greed? Never. I've never had anyone come in and go, man, 
Pastor, you know what? I am struggling with greed. Is that kind of funny? You know why? It's, it's hard to know, isn't it? I mean, what did Jesus teach us about giving, right? He, I, I love the story of the widow's might, right? Jesus, check this out, by the way. Jesus is watching the offering. Okay, this, this room is like stone cold silent right now. Okay, so here we go. Ready? Jesus is watching the offering. Does that make anybody uncomfortable? He's got his 12 guys, and this widow comes up and puts in basically two cents. And he brings them over, and he goes, check this out. She gave everything. This is amazing, right? And then Proverbs tells us, you know, to be like an insect or a rock badger and store away for a rainy day, right? So which is it, God? Is it give everything or is it save up for a rainy day? What's the answer? Yes, right? He's going to stretch us. And so one of the things that giving does in corporate worship is it's just, it's a help to our soul to make sure that we're battling the sin of greed because it's hard to know, right? And so Coastal, we ask our members to give a tenth of their income to support their local church so the gospel goes forward. We connect and it makes sure that Jesus is seated on the throne. We grow in small groups where God surrounds us with other people that we're not just facing forward, but we're facing in a circle, and we're interacting the Word of God. It's people that know me, and I know them. They know that I have bad breath, and I know they have bad breath, okay? We're not always, we're not all put together like we look like on Sunday morning. Everybody comes in on Sunday morning, everyone looks great, right? Um, and so, Man, it's people that really know me. They can call me out and help me grow to be more like Jesus. It's people that are praying with me. I'm praying for them. It's people that help me move furniture when I need help moving furniture. It's those kind of people, okay? Small groups, we grow in small groups. And then we serve. And when we sign up to serve, and I want you to get this, when you sign up to serve, you take an hour or two of your week and you're not thinking about you, but you're thinking about someone else and you're serving so that they know Jesus and you're pouring yourself out for them. That helps take my eyes off the things of the world and make sure Jesus is seated on the throne. And then number four, we multiply. And I, th and I was thinking about this this week. You know what multiplication does for me? It reminds me of the brevity of life. It reminds me that I need to pass on the faith to some other people who will then pass on the faith to some other people because one day you're going to be kicking dirt on my grave, but I want the gospel to go forward. Amen? And so I'm investing in someone who can take over from me. By the way, I'm going to embarrass them. Paul and Courtney Schaefer are right here in the front. Most of you guys have never even met them, okay? They were a part of Coastal 10 years ago, and out of their, out of their small group, they came to me one day and said, we want to start a food ministry to feed hungry people in the peninsula. And I said, no way. I'm too busy. I ain't got time to do it. And they said, no, we want to do it. And them and their small group started the food ministry that thrives here today. Isn't that cool? That's Multiply. Where do you guys live now? Okay, they live. They moved away. So, but they multiplied. They multiplied so that the ministry would go forward. Every single one of us should be multiplying. All right, here we go. All right, so connect, grow, serve, multiply is how is what God has given us to make sure Jesus is on the throne of our hearts. Amen. Everybody with me? All right. Point number two. We're going to ask the question: What in the world? Because maybe we're reading John chapter two, and you're saying. John says, do not love the world. But in John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus said, 
What did Jesus say? For God so what? Love the world that he gave his son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Which is it? Do we love the world or do we not love the world? Well, if it's people we're talking about, it's like sometimes I love them, sometimes I don't. No. As what I t- I'll tell you what I tell my kids. I love you all the time. I just don't like you very much right now, okay? It's a big difference. I always love you. Um, but no, so which is it, right? Do we love the world or do we not love the world? And this is where, like the word green, context matters, right? If I were to say, man, we got this new staff person and they're green, you would immediately know what I'm talking about, right? Or if you're like, hey, I... Uh, you know, the stock market's doing great and the green's going up. You would know what I'm talking about, right? So you know in the context, well, this is where the world in the context matters. When John in 3.16, Jesus used the word world, he's talking about people. God loves people. We love God and therefore we should love what God loves and we love people. But in John chapter 2 or 1 John chapter 2, John here is now talking about the world and its sinful, broken influences that try to influence our worldview away from the Word of God and to think differently about how we prioritize our lives apart from prioritizing it around the Word of God. All right, so letter A. Christians are pulled out of the world's sinful influences. So once you become a Christian, God takes the scales off your eyes. John chapter 3, you're literally born again, and you see the world differently, right? How many of you go to work or go in the community, and you're like, man, I just see the world differently than people who don't go to church? How many of you feel that way, right? That's because you're, you're, pulled, you're pulled out of the world's influences. You're given a new worldview, and you're living your life according to the Word of God. Jesus said this in John chapter 17. He said, I have, when he's praying his high prayer with his disciples, he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world, right? They've been pulled out. I've discipled them. They think different. They see different. But letter B, then Jesus turns and sends them into the world. So Christians, you see the world differently. You, you The influences of the way the world think, you now think differently. You think biblically. And in with this biblical mindset, letter B, you're sent into the world as missionaries. So John chapter 17, verse 18, as you sent me into the world... So I have sent them into the world. So as he's praying over his disciples, Jesus says, God, the Father, as you sent me, I'm now sending them. This is why when you become a Christian, God doesn't just take you to heaven. How many of you had a hard week this week? Anybody had a tough week? A couple of you had a tough week. You ever in the middle of a tough week? Like, God, why did you leave? Like, this is hard. I'm a Christian. I hear heaven's amazing. Why not just take me there? No, you're here on a mission to use your time, talent, and treasure to bring glory to God and expand the gospel. And letter C here is Christians, you're now sent to influence and preserve the world. Jesus calls this in Matthew 5, salt and light, right? You're the salt of the earth, Matthew 5, 13. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? By the way, in Bible times, There was no refrigeration. So what was salt used for? It wasn't used for flavoring, maybe partly, but what was it used for? Preservation, right? So you could have meat in your house for months and months. The salt would preserve it. 
Christian, you're actually here as partly as a preservation for the culture. I believe deeply. I think we got it right in separation of church and state. I, I don't think the state should be dictating what people should believe. But I do believe that the church is here to leaven and be the conscience of the culture. Amen? And by the way, some of you all, sometimes I get these tear-offs when I start talking about politics. You shouldn't be talking about politics. Listen, the reason I talk about politics is because our culture, our politics has become religious. They're venturing into areas they have no business venturing into because God's already defined marriage for us. You with me? So it's not political. My job's here to teach you what the Bible teaches unashamedly and unabashedly because I want you to know the truth. Because Jesus said something very important about the truth. You will know the truth and what? Truth will set you free. So if the church doesn't preach the truth, a culture will end up in bondage. We are to be the conscience uh, of, the, of the culture. Because we're salt and, verse 14, we're light. You're the light of the world. City set on a hill can't be hidden. Where people light a lamp, put it under the basket, but stand on it, gives the light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Listen, there are people that have read 1 John chapter 2, where John writes, do not love the world, and they've actually said what God wants for us is to become a monk and move into the desert and not have electricity and not have any of the worldly things, the, the niceties of the world, and we're to wear sackcloth and live an impoverished life. And I think that misses the point. When you do that, you're not being a person of influence, right? He's talking about not letting the world influence your worldview, but we're left here as missionaries to be salt and light and to influence the culture. Listen, you guys have heard me preach enough to know, like, I, I'm pretty hard on our educational um, systems in America. I'm pretty hard on where the public school in general is in its worldview and teaching. I'm, I'm pretty hard on the universities and institutions of higher learning and where they are on their worldview and teaching. Okay, the reason I'm hard on them is as our culture has adopted an evolutionary model, what we've done is we've built our educational system with a cornerstone that there's no God. And that has really, really practical educational touches, right, that bears itself out. Listen, the way the, the, the culture that we're sitting in right now didn't just get here. It started in the 60s with the, with the sexual revolution with self is what is sitting at the head of the table, yes? And self will decide what sex and sexuality will be, not God. And so I'm hard on these institutions, but you ready for this? I want to say something really, really important. I am thankful for those of you that see yourselves as missionaries in those arenas. Amen, church? If you're a teacher, you're an administrator, you're a doctor, you're a uh, first responder, and you're in our cultural institutions, for those of you who think, man, I want to I think about going into government, I want to think about being raising my home as a godly home, I want to influence my work, you know, I, man, I am thankful for those of you who do that because we are salt and light. By the way, we start every August, we have a night of prayer in August. 
And you know what specifically we pray for at Night of Prayer in August? The new school year. We pray for our teachers, we pray for our administrators, and whether it's homeschool, private school, or public school, we are praying for you. Amen, church? Because we're salt in line. By the way, I'll, I'll make a side note here. I'll chase a rabbit trail. I have people sometimes come to me and they're like, Pastor, should we do private school, homeschool, or public school? And here's what I always say to that. That is a family question. Like, you know your kids the best. There's no, like, one suits all. One way is the best way. I, by the way, I've done all three with my kids. And you know what they still needed at the end of the day? Jesus, right? They still needed Jesus. And so bring them up in the Lord. Figure out what's best for your family. And, and, and teach them to read and write, okay? Uh, but but the, even education is to be used for the glory of God. And you as a parent need to give that a lot of prayerful consideration and determine what's best for your family. But most of all, bring them up in Christ. All right, number three, here we go. What John is warning us about in this letter is to be careful as Christians of the sinful offerings of the world. And so here they are, 1 John 2, 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, this is not from the Father, but it's from the world. What John is saying is, taking us back to point number one, we're little worship factories. We're going to worship something. And if Christ is not seated at the center, we are going to worship other things. Letter A, we're going to read, we're going to, if Christ is not the center, we're going to worship physical pleasure. That means that at, we're consumed with doing what pleases me. I want to get through life safe, soft, easy, and comfortable. Listen, I've told people, this is the honest, probably the honest of God's truth. If I didn't think there was a God, I would be a hedonist. I would just do whatever I wanted, whatever made me happy. The reason I don't do that is I have the fear of the Lord. I have a creator that I'm going to give an answer to. And that matters to me. And it should matter to you. Otherwise, just physical pleasure. Let her be. The desires of the eyes. Shinier, newer, faster, bigger. I see it, I want it. Genesis 3.6, it's the first sin as it enters the planet. Genesis 3.6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, she saw it, she said, man, that looks awesome. I think God's holding out on me. I remember years ago, I was going to a um, men's retreat. I was down on the south side. I got turned around somehow. I don't know how, but I got lost. And I ended up in a neighborhood with all of these beautiful homes on the water. And I'm driving to, through this neighborhood. I'm trying to get back to the retreat. And as I'm driving through these, this beautiful neighborhood, I start to get insanely dissatisfied with my house. Anybody ever did that? Like this stupid old house. <laughs> it's electricity and running water, air conditioning, internet backyard for the kids to play in. I hate this place. You know, why can't my place be like that place? Anybody here ever do that? I'm the only one. Okay, so yeah, I'm the only one. Like, you know, it's just me. No, it's it's shinier to our desire of the eyes, man. We all of a sudden we're coveting and we're not content. And man, I'm just thanking God that I wasn't preaching at the men's retreat because I was already off-centered, you know? And whoever preached that day, like I remember they preached and God immediately convicted me. 
of the lust of the eyes. Sean, you are dissatisfied. I've given, listen, you ready for something true? Everything you have, you have because God gave it to you and everything you don't have, God don't want you to have it right now. Amen? Now listen, I am all for bettering your career. I'm all for becoming more indisposable to your boss so that you can go ask for a raise. I'm for all of that. But if you ain't got it now, it's because God don't want you to have it yet. And maybe you don't get it till heaven. Okay? Which of these letters see, right? The pride and achievements. Pride and our achievements. Some of you, by the way, here's one of the ways that I know that Christ isn't in the center of my life where he needs to be. And maybe, just maybe, it's the lust of the physical pleasure, lust of the eyes, pride in my achievements has taken center stage. Here's, how I, here's my, how I know something might be off. It's when I start feeling like I'm on the hamster wheel. I'm going like this, and suddenly everything depends on me, you know, and oh my goodness, if I don't show up here, and I don't do this, and, and, and oh my goodness, oh my goodness, and I start feeling exhausted, and I start wearing out, you know, and I'm physically tired, I'm emotionally tired, and I start thinking, and, and then I remember what Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? rest because my yoke is easy and my burden is light why am i still feeling so burdened you want to know how i'm feeling so burdened when you take on these three particular sins one of these three and they take center stage you're on the hamster wheel that's what the world does you ain't got to fix everything you ain't got to own everything you ain't got to have everything some of y'all are wrecking your marriage over pride and your achievements Man, I just got to get my career here. I got to get my car here. I got to get my house here. I got to get my bank account here. And man, I'm, and you're driving yourself and you're driving your family into the ground. And here's the deal. You ready? I said this at Easter because I kind of covered this a little bit at Easter. I said, you think we're all looking at your life going, wow, you're awesome. Can I just tell you, I'm too self-centered to worry about you. I don't care that much about you. I might look at your house and go, wow, but I got my own problems. All right, Whatever. You think we're all going wow, and we ain't. We really don't care that much, quite frankly. Everyone's laughing because you know it's true. One of the things we ask ourselves in leadership at Coastal is if we're pushing towards a goal or there's something we're driving towards and it feels difficult and things aren't falling into place like we would like, we ask a question We'll stop and we'll say, are we doing this for ourselves? Is this about pride in our achievements? And our minds go to John chapter 4, I mean James chapter 4, where, G, where uh, James says this, God opposes the proud, but does something. What does he do? He gives grace to the humble. And so suddenly, man, if it feels like, man, it's really hard, and we're pushing up against the world, maybe, maybe we're doing this and it's about us. And God's not with us in that moment. Because here's the deal. If you're God opposed, guess who loses that battle? You do, right? So let me give you a couple practical, practical applications and then we'll make our fourth point and close this thing up. Okay, so here it is. There's somebody in this room today that your marriage right now is really hard. It's not working very well. And you've surrounded yourself with people that have a worldly perspective on marriage. And you surround yourself with people who say, you know what? Your spouse is not making you happy. 
you, you just need to ditch that one, get a lawyer, and go find a new spouse. I want to challenge you with what the Bible says about marriage. The Word of God says, what God has joined together, let what? No man separate. By the way, you're part of no man. You're part of no man or no woman. There's somebody in this room today that uh, you're dating someone right now. You're dating, and the world is telling you, hey, you're dating this person, you love this person, you're in love. So physical intimacy is, is normal and it's good. Just have sex together. Did you, know this, did you know that God designed sex? He made it up. He made it good. He made it good for us. But he said, here's how it's good for you. It's in the confines of one man and one woman committed in this thing called marriage for a lifetime. So if you're having sex outside of marriage, you're in sexual sin. You're being disobedient to the Lord. And the world is going, that's good, that's normal. And I'm saying, eh. There's a sinful way and there's a holy way. And listen, if that's you this morning, if you're, if you're sleeping around with your boyfriend or girlfriend, are you ready for this? Here would be my advice. Break up for a season. Just break up and get Christ seated in the right place in your heart. Because sometimes when I have people come to me and they're like, man, we're living together, we're sleeping together, but it's God's will. This is God's will. I'm like, how do you know if it's God's will? You're already outside of God's will. Yes? See, these are really practical touches. All right, here we go. Final thing. I'll, I'll take the foot off the gas. Here we go. Number four. The world turns us, if we allow the influence of the world to influence us, the world turns us into people who only consider the temporal rather than the eternal. Because John says this in 1 John chapter 2, 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world is passing away. The world turns us into people who only consider the temporal rather than the eternal. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you ready? A Christian has the mindset of delayed gratification. Yes? A Christian trusts the word of God. A Christian trusts the promises of God. A Christian trusts that Jesus Christ will one day return. A Christian trusts that one day there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. A Christian believes that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, and because he rose from the grave, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, even though it might be hard today, God sees and God rewards. A Christian has a new worldview because of the gospel. And the worldview is no longer a temporal worldview. The worldview is now an eternal worldview. What is the will of God for you today? To know Jesus and to know the gospel and to have an eternal mindset. See, the message of the gospel is not like, hey, you're kind of okay with God and you just need, you know, sometimes you get a little off course and you need a new repositioning in your heart. The message of the gospel is you're dead in sins and you need a spiritual reawakening, spiritual birth, rebirth. Your sin has earned you something. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? It's death. 
earned you that. And so what God should have done for you and for me as a sinner, he should have immediately given me his wrath and hatred of sin. But God is merciful and he's gracious and he's patient, praise be to God, with me and with you. And he took up, he gave his very best gift. He gave his one and only son. He took on flesh. He lived a perfect life. He's the only person to walk the planet that didn't deserve the wage of sin. Jesus chose death. And he died on the cross. It wasn't just a martyr's death. On the cross, God took Sean Brown's sin and his hatred for Sean Brown's sin, and he poured out his wrath on Jesus instead of Sean Brown. Praise be to God. Amen? And those of you that are believers. And then they laid Jesus' cold, lifeless, dead body in a grave. And three days later, he stepped out of his own tomb, authenticating his claims as being the Messiah and overcoming the final enemy that is death. And for those who are believers, the same spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of you. And so guess what? In Christ, you have a whole new worldview. John chapter 10, you have abundant life. And John chapter 11, even better, you have eternal life. Christ and the gospel has given us abundant and eternal life. And so therefore, as Christians, we now delay our gratification and we become people that are heavenly minded. Amen. Our problem is we're not heavenly minded enough. In John chapter six, Jesus said this, for this is the will of my father. You want to know what the will of God is? That everyone who looks on the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Man, if I could encourage you with one thing today, I hear this all the time. You ever heard the saying, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good? You ever heard that saying? It's a stupid saying. We are not heavenly minded enough. Yes? Christ will for you is to know the love of the Father. God loves you. Let me just say that again. God loves you. What's the greatest gift he could give you? overcoming your last enemy death so that you can have eternal life. That's what he wants for you. This world is broken since sin entered it. God is in the process of redeeming it. And when he comes again, he's going to fully and finally redeem it. And all the sin, all the hardships, all the difficulties you have this way, they're going to be a thing of the past. And we are going to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever in glory. It's incredible. God loves you. So I'll finish with this story and I'll invite the worship team up and then we'll go out singing this morning. I want you to imagine that on January 2nd, 2023, I want you to imagine it was the worst day of your life. Okay, so I don't know what that would look for you, but it's the worst day of your life. You wake up, maybe you wake up with, we're, we're wiping off January 1st. Nobody goes to work on January 1st. That's just the day off. Okay, so January 2nd, worst day of your life. You wake up with a migraine so bad. <clears throat> so you decide to go to the doctor. <clears throat> I'm running out of steam. You're driving to your doctor. You get hit by an, uninsu- an uninsured motorist on the way to the doctor. Can't believe it. your car's wrecked. <clears throat> you call your spouse. Your spouse gets you to the doctor. The doctor gives you some meds. You show up to work late. You walk into work. They're downsizing. And you're you're at the top of the list. You get you lose your job. You get home. Your wife's mad at you. You don't even have time to talk to her about your difficulties because you had a water pipe freeze and burst, and there's water all over the other side of the house, right? <clears throat> you're uh, 
your kid, you get a call from the school, your kid's been suspended. It's just a terrible, terrible day. You lay your head on the pillow, you're like, I can't believe what a horrible day that was. And then on January 3rd, something extraordinary happens. A competitor company to your old company calls you and you're like, you're not going to believe this. We heard you needed a job. We have an opening for you and we're going to double your salary. That happens at 8 a.m. You go to work to your new job at 9 a.m. making twice as much as you were making the day before. And at 10 o'clock, you get a call from a lawyer you've never heard from. And this lawyer is like, you're not going to believe this. You have an unknown relative who's left you $2 million. At lunch, at lunch, you get a call from a raffle house. You played a raffle back in the fall at a golf tournament you went to, and you win the raffle. You won an opportunity to play golf with Tiger Woods. When you go to play the golf tournament in the summer with Tiger Woods, not only did you get to play with Tiger Woods, you beat him. Uh, and <clears throat> she's amazing, and your marriage has never been better. And the kids, the one that got suspended, does a complete 180. He's doing incredible. In fact, the student, your kid's doing so good at school that your teacher at the end of the year sets up a parent-teacher conference just to meet the parents who did such an incredible job raising such an amazing middle schooler. And, uh, and as the teacher's talking with you, your teacher realizes, man, you could help so many of these idiot parents who aren't doing it right. So she wants to set up a conference for you to teach all the parents how to be an incredible parent. And so I run into you on December 31st of 2023. And I say, man, how was your year? Oh man, it was incredible. Like everything went right. And you start to list off all the things that happened. It was incredible. And you a new job twice. A kid's doing great. I'm doing parent conference because I'm such a great parent. My marriage has never been better. Killed Tiger Woods down in Jupiter, Florida at the golf tournament. It was amazing. It was, it was great. And you listen to all these things. And I say to you, well, how was the first day of the year? How was January 2nd? Well, you know what? That was a pretty terrible day. I almost forgot about that. That was a really awful day. I think you see the application, right? I really believe this, oh Christian. I'm going to run into you 30,000 years from now. I'm like, man, how's the last 20,000 years been? Amazing. I, I can't even remember a bad day. It's been incredible. For, actually, you asked 20, that last 30,000 years have been great. How, how were the first hundred years? Well, you know, now that you say it, they were a little tough. It started rough, actually, now that you say that. Um, I almost forgot because it's been amazing ever since. Listen, I know this is hard for us to digest. The world is temporal and it's passing away. You're on mission to be salt and light. But it's just the first hundred years that are hard. After that, it's going to be incredible. Because your heavenly Father loves you. And He's got plans for you that are beyond your wildest dreams. And so here's my concluding thought, church. I want you to be heavenly minded. I want you, we are not heavenly minded enough. And I want you to remember this thing called life, it's just a season. It's short. It's a vapor, the Bible says. And I want you to be encouraged with these words in 1 John 2. Don't love the world or the things in the world. 
Because here's the deal. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You're forgetting all the amazing things that God has for you. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh. Listen, don't click on that video on your phone and on your computer because it's a cheap knockoff of what God has for you. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. And these are not from the Father. In other words, he's got something way better for you. These are from the world. Oh, and Christian, be reminded, the world is passing away along with all these sinful desires. But whoever does the will of God abides for how long, church? Eternal life. God has eternal life for you. Here's what I want to do, all right? We're going to, close, we're going to sing this morning, but I want to bring the prayer team up. So prayer team, I don't know if you're around. Come on up. So here's the deal. We have forever, and it's going to be amazing, but the first 100 years are still tough sometimes, right? And so we still need prayer from time to time. So if you need prayer, our prayer team is here for you after the service. They love to minister to you because sometimes the first 100 years are hard. Let's bow our heads and let's go out saying, Heavenly Father, help us to be a heavenly-minded people. Help us to remember, man, we're salt and we're light. You've left us here on mission. And it's the first hundred years that are hard. But guess what? The things of this world, they're passing away. Help us to be a people that are eternally minded because you, oh Father, if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. Man, we love the Father. We love what the Father loves. The Father loves people. The Father loves holiness. The Father loves righteousness. And the Father wants us to be eternally minded. That you are... Jesus went to prepare a place for us. It's going to be amazing. And until that time, God, until the day that our faith becomes sight, we offer you our hearts. We offer you our lives. And we offer you a song of praise. Because what else can we give the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? But we love you. We praise you. We sing hallelujah. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.